0: If you're anything like me, you've probably seen both Top Gun movies several times, and probably memorized some of it, and they did a great job of chronicling aircrew going through Top Gun and their subsequent combat action, but in the most recent movie, did you wonder what Maverick did as a test pilot in the desert before he ejected at Mach 10? This series will help, and hopefully so will I. My name is Brian Sinclair, callsign Sunshine, and I'm a retired Navy F-18 pilot. I graduated from the Naval Academy with a bachelor's in aerospace engineering, flew S3 Vikings for several years. Then I picked up a master's in astronautical engineering and transitioned to the F-18. I flew the Legacy Hornet and Super Hornet in the skies over Iraq and Afghanistan. Then I became an aerospace engineering instructor at the Naval Academy. In my final Navy chapter, I was an experimental test pilot. I've had a chance to fire weapons both in anger, i.e. combat, as well as out of curiosity in test. I have rendezvoused with and flown alongside both ship-launched and submarine-launched missiles, followed weapons dropped off of aircraft, and flew some weapon profiles to just before impact with captive weapons on my wing. In this series, we're going to explore the different phases of the U.S. Navy's test and evaluation as was applied to both the Super Hornet and some air-launched weapons. My guests will include the chief test pilot of the Super Hornet program, an operational test pilot whose career was a lot like Mavericks going from F-14s and Top Gun to F-18s in test one of the best test wizzos in my book anyway, with whom I flew some weapon evaluation flights. A current coworker who had the distinct pleasure of participating in both air-to-air and air-to-surface weapon testing when she was in uniform. And if all of that excites you, we'll wrap up the series by talking with one of my Naval Academy roommates who joined the Marine Corps and went on to become the commanding officer of the U.S. Naval Test Pilot School. He's got some good insight into becoming a test pilot. So settle in and get comfy, because we're about to go down some pretty deep technical rabbit holes and pop up for air to hopefully provide a balance of education and entertainment in the Test Pilot series. This is Authentic. Welcome back to another episode in the Test Pilot series. Today we're going to focus on the developmental test of the U.S. Navy's F 18 Super Hornet. So personal favorite is I got to fly a lot. And who better to have as a guest than the chief test pilot of the entire U.S. Navy developmental test program, retired Navy Captain Rob Knockers-Knee Warner. So I met Rob when I was teaching at the Naval Academy, and he was basically the senior guy in the aero department there, as you could imagine. And when it comes to intellect, this guy just kind of blows it right off the top of the charts. He got his B.S. in physics from the Naval Academy in 1981. And he went on to get his master's in electrical engineering at Johns Hopkins, followed by his PhD in aeronautical engineering. And finally, he attended the U.S. Navy Test Pilot School. So look at the big brain on knockers. Anyway, without further ado, let's bring in knockers. Hey, good morning and welcome back. Today's episode, we're going to talk about the developmental test of the Super Hornet, appropriately named the Rhino. And we brought with us today our in-studio guest, Dr. Rob Neewarner, retired captain of the United States Navy, who has a PhD. He was the Super Hornets chief test pilot for the integrated test team.
1: So good morning, Rob, how are you? Good morning, sunshine. It's a real privilege to be with you.
0: It is, yeah, so Knockers, uh, callsign Knockers and I, uh, first time I met him was actually, uh, I came back to teach at the Naval Academy in the Air Department, and you had been there for a while, correct?
1: Uh, yeah, I, I joined the Naval Academy faculty uh, right on the heels of the Super Hornet program in 1998.
0: Nice. Okay, so let's start off with uh, the call sign. So your call sign is knockers. is there uh, I'm assuming there's a good story there?
1: Yeah, no, sorry, no salacious <laughs> story. Uh, it, uh, uh, one of my lieutenant commanders, department heads in VF84 had uh, couldn't pronounce my last name. And so it started off. As, Dave Ripple was his name, and uh, it started off as Knee Knockers, which just was way too long a call sign. So it just got truncated to Knockers over time. So, yeah. Gotcha.
0: Okay. So no sorry, to let you down. Story. No, that, no great stories. So, there. hey, Knockers. Before we get into the developmental test of the Super Hornet, I'd love to hear your background and why did you get into this line of work? What, what were your interests? Your upbringing? Your you know your background, if you will, and then. And then we'll obviously talk about the Super Hornet, and the, then we'll finish up with where you currently are.
1: Yeah, so I, I, I grew up in St. Louis, which will actually play into this story later on with Super Hornet, And uh, but knew from the time I was a little boy I wanted to be a uh, naval officer. Uh, loved the literature of the sea, and so came to the Naval Academy uh, with a class of 1981. Uh, actually thought I wanted to be a submariner submar- uh, at that point. So, oh. <laughs> uh, you know, had this dreams of command at sea and— uh, figured out as a midshipman, that's not what I wanted to do. And so by the end of my time as a midshipman uh, and graduating in 81, I wanted to be a fighter pilot. So uh, flew Tomcats through the 1980s. I was a physics major and uh, had a master's in in electrical engineering prior to commissioning. And uh, so I knew the technical piece sort of interested me, went through test pilot school in uh, 1989, and then moved into the uh, Tomcat flight test. So I did a lot of the A lot of F-14A work, a lot of F-14B engine work. The B had been in the fleet for about a year, and then I did initial sea trials on F-14D. Simultaneously, I was a Navy pilot assigned to YF-22, YF-23. And at the conclusion of that lieutenant test tour, I decided I really wanted to stay in flight tests. So that's when the Navy sent me for a PhD, and then I came back to Pax River uh, in the mid-90s, about a year before the Super Hornet program stood up.
0: So you're definitely a math and science kind of guy, would you agree?
1: yeah i'm kind of the fighter geek so (laughs) uh, yeah midshipman my students today think it's hilarious that you know i came here wanting to be a submariner and uh you know now i i think i'm the oldest active pilot in the department of the navy
0: nice active so what do you currently fly before we get into the super?
1: yeah so uh, you know i'm an old man so little light airplanes is all i'm trusted in and uh but uh, yeah we teach a flight test engineering course uh, and i we uh we've got a um A baron that we lease from a a local FBO uh, that we use for uh, 1967s, which is a quirky airplane pre-part 23, uh, which is nice for what we use it for, which is an engineering test bed, um, because uh, the MIDS find some of those quirks over the course of our time in flying. And uh, yeah, that's just, that's a privilege to still be involved in. Oh, I, I had this a couple of great stories from the fall one of them was first flight with a midshipman where he'd never been on a light airplane before and 10 minutes into the flight he told me i don't know whether i'm terrified or exhilarated right now he goes maybe a little of both and those kind of moments are just really priceless for me so introducing um, young aspiring naval aviators to, to flying
0: very nice okay cool so so obviously uh thanks for the background and all the accolades i mean uh and and later we'll talk about your You're basically all the professional organizations that you're part of. But if you don't mind, we'll dive into the subject at hand. Okay. So thinking about we're back in the 90s, right? So can you set the stage big picture with the Navy? What kind of programs were currently going on? What was being canceled? What were the the tensions at the time?
1: So, you know, 1990, uh, what naval aviation had on its horizon was – uh, A-12 was a developmental program, uh, kind of flying Dorito. Think of B-2, shrunk down to the size of a flight deck. It was in process, uh, and I was bred right into that program. But, and then also uh, the Navy was a part of the Advanced Tactical Fighter Program, which was uh, essentially the Navy was going to buy a variant of the F-22 or F-23, depending on who uh, was involved or who won. Um, I was on the, the, I was the Navy pilot assigned to that program. And uh, it was a couple of weeks away from flying the YF-23 when uh, the Navy pulled out. But really in the spring of 91, uh, Secretary Cheney canceled A-12 fairly abruptly, triggering off a almost decade-long, you know, multi-billion dollar lawsuit between McDonnell Douglas and the government. Uh, That'll show up later in the story, too. Cancelled uh, Navy's involvement in in, um, YF-22, YF-23, and... uh, you know, Tomcat 21 was scrapped. Um, matter of fact, not only was it scrapped, but Congress directed that Grumman destroy the tooling for the F, after the last F-14D was built so that Tomcats couldn't rise again. So I can remember a bike ride with Dave Dunaway, who later retired as a three-star. We were both lieutenant commanders in Monterey in the mid-90s, and Decoy and I having this conversation over, you know, what's our leadership thinking? I, you know, where are the airplanes going to come from to fill the flight decks? And, um, you know, we thought that they had sold us down the river. Um, What we didn't know was Super Hornet was being born and uh, that they were actually, and these are guys like John Lockard, uh, Brent Bennett, Bill Bowes, um, all retired three stars now. And uh, they set naval aviation on a course of financial uh, soundness uh, that, uh, you know, essentially has allowed the Navy to to recapitalize naval aviation. And now look back and go, wow, those guys were just so wise. But... The press was, you know, this is so 1993 in August and the people in Revolve still call it the 10 days of August because they were locked down in St. Louis for 10 days to come up with a program to save naval aviation. That was going to be Super Hornet because otherwise all we had was all these old airplanes on the flight deck. And uh, they came out with a program that was going to have first flight in 95 uh, delivered to the fleet in 99, 4.88 billion dollars. And the pressure was on from everyone inside the Pentagon and inside Congress that uh, not a dollar late or not a dollar more and not a day late. And that'll, that'll frame some of the, some of the decisions that, uh, and the questions that we're going to talk about here later. So that was the context. And, you know, when I came onto the program in early 95, you know, we understood that, that the mission was to save naval aviation.
0: And so, okay, thanks, Knockers, for that kind of setting the stage, if you will. So thinking of the, as I call it, as we call it really, the Legacy Hornet, right, that was a derivative of the YF-17, the Cobra, which was kind of the loser to the F-16 in the lightweight fighter program, right? So can can we say that the Legacy Hornet is the, the basis for the Super Hornet?
1: Oh, yeah, absolutely. And because of the need to, you know, both cost constraints to make sure that this was an affordable program, there's a lot that was done that was essentially invest the money to get increased capability. And, and we had this mantra within Super Hornet range, payload, growth, bring back survivability. Those were the, far, the five Y's to Super Hornet range, payload, growth, bring back survivability, all targeted to address problems with the legacy. But at the same time, there was a real consciousness to, and the other thing is, we were handing the program over to engineers at McDonnell Douglas, who had been thinking about how to improve Hornet for years, and so they did. They, you know, all the things they wanted to fix, they were given the chance to do that. So the architectures, the engines, you know, the 414s, a bigger version of the 404, that'll come up later too. The architectures, the software, you know, so everything that could be copy pasted into to Rhinos was copy pasted where thanks for listening to this authentic snapshot if you'd like to hear more head over to authenticmedia.io to hear the rest of this episode and explore our authentic content